Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Have you ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books and wondered why they were all wrapped in brown paper? Those are blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author. And it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We at Book Riot are giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local Indian Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off of the shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. Once again, that's bookriot.com slash blind date, or check the link in the show notes. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, everybody's favorite place to talk about romance. I'm just going to, I'm going to call it like it is now. I know you love us and we're your favorites. I am Jess. And I'm Trisha. (laughs) And uh, this is episode 45, and we are recording on October 17th, 2019. We are indeed. Uh, I I got very, I got thrown off for a second by that very real honesty. I mean, we've both (laughs) known it since the beginning. And the fact that now 45 episodes in, we're just calling it like we see it. I like it. (laughs) Here we are. How are you doing, Jess? I'm doing all right. How are you, Trisha? Where are you? Oh, that's a, that's a fair question. Uh, I'm in Maine. Um, I, uh, have another uh, week or so in, in Portland, Maine. And then I am headed to, uh, Mobile, Alabama after that. Which is very similar to Portland, Maine, in that both are uh, coastal cities. Yes, yes, they are. Doesn't matter what coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The coast might be a little different, but otherwise, yeah, that's quite a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it'll be it'll be good. I'll have uh, some good audiobook listening time. I feel uh, feel excited about it. But but Portland, Maine is lovely. Everyone should feel free um, to to visit at their leisure. Oh, lovely. Uh, indeed. And speaking of things that are lovely, we have some follow up. Thank you to a uh, huge, huge thanks to the lovely Jackie Horn from Romance Novels for Feminists. Um, she sent us this incredible book list on romance history and romance literary criticism. The whole list is so enormous that if we just read the whole list, we probably would only have time to do that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> and while you might all prefer that, we like to have the opportunity to just be charming uh, as well. So um, we definitely will put that full list in the show notes. Um, and we will certainly link to romance novels for feminists.blogspot.com uh, as well, so that you have a chance to visit that site. Um, but it is worth noting she like I said, she's got a, a lot of um, really great literary titles there, including two that she mentioned uh, that helped kind of spark in part the creation of the Jane and Krentz collection that we mentioned last uh, episode. So 
Again, we will certainly mention all of those, but again, huge, huge thanks to Jackie Horn for Romance Novels for Feminists um, for taking the time to put that together, and we will make sure that you have access to it as well. Uh, we are also getting some wonderful requests for recommendations. Um, as a reminder, if you send us any requests for recommendations by Monday, November 11th, we will have book recs for you on our show that comes out Monday, November 18th. So um, send us those, send those our way. Uh, and if you have sent us something and you have not heard us recommend those books yet, that's because we are probably holding on to it um, for our show that is coming out November 18th. So if you want books for you or for uh, your favorite, you know, person that you shop for books for over the holiday season, Thanksgiving or New Year's or whatever, you know, holiday, my birthday's in January. So what, you know, whatever, see how it goes. Uh, send those our way. <laughs> I mean, mine's in June, but I'll take early gifts. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe get Jess a, a nice Thanksgiving, um, holiday rack. It'll be great. So yeah. So again, get those our way, uh, when in romance at bookriot.com and we will, uh, get those if you send them that way. Yep. We look forward to seeing them. All right. Before we dive in, uh, do you want to do our first ad spot, Jess? Absolutely. Thank you to Gallery Books and Twice in a Blue Moon by Christina Lauren. From the New York Times bestselling author of The Unhoneymooners and the delectable, moving, my favorite half-night stand, comes a modern love story about what happens when your first love re-enters your life when you least expect it. Christina Lauren is the combined pen name of longtime writing partners and best friends Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, the New York Times, USA Today, and number one internationally bestselling authors of the Beautiful and Wild Seasons series. In Twice in a Blue Moon, Sam Brandis was Tate Jones's first, her first love, her first everything, including her first heartbreak. During a whirlwind two-week vacation abroad, Sam and Tate fell for each other in the only way that first loves do, sharing all of their hopes, dreams, and deepest secrets along the way. Sam was the first and only person that Tate, the long-lost daughter of one of the world's biggest film stars, ever revealed her identity to. So when it became clear her trust was misplaced, her world shattered for good. Mm -mm -mm. Fourteen years later, Tate, now an upcoming up-and-coming actress, only thinks about her first love every once in a blue moon, or I guess twice, uh, when she steps onto the set of her first big break, he's the last person she expects to see. Yet, here Sam is, the same charming, confident man she knew, but even more alluring than she remembered. Forced to confront the man who betrayed her, Tate must ask herself if it's possible to do the wrong thing for the right reason, and whether once in a lifetime can come around twice. So thank you again to Gallery Books and Christina Lauren for Twice in a Blue Moon for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I So I have that book and I started it and I thought that I left it at my parents' house when I was in Washington State, but then I recently found it again. And I have to go to the laundromat tomorrow. And the only thing that I can make there that can I can think of that can make going to the laundromat seem slightly better is bringing a Christina Lauren book with me. So I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, I think it'll I think it'll be lovely. Um, so huge thanks to the big thanks to them. Uh, let me think. Oh, so we had actually one one other email that um, was I was thinking about it. I thought kind of tied in a little bit to the first conversation that we were going to have. We heard um, from Paige who mentioned, you know, I, I kind of alluded earlier to the fact that we talked a little bit about, you know, romance 
pioneers and uh, kind of where, you know, the folks that uh, are the legacy of, you know, romance and, and where the genre has come from and where it has been. And we heard from Paige who mentioned um, something that we didn't really talk about, which is that although we were sort of celebrating some of the trailblazers and folks who um, made huge strides in, in creating the more progressive and inclusive version of the genre that we celebrate and are excited about today, the folks that were writing um, maybe some of the less consensual and less inclusive romance, as frankly was most common um, 30 years ago, probably mm-hmm. even less than 30 years ago, were also a part of the history of the genre. And it's not um, for us to necessarily ignore that, right? It's It doesn't make sense just to ignore history just because we think it's problematic. Um, or at least today we consider it problematic, even if social constructs of the time would not have considered it the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that and I was thinking about where some of the space for those kinds of conversations is. And you had mentioned that maybe now that we're over a year into having done a few books uh, on the When in Romance book club, it might be time to talk a little bit about that book club and whether book clubs in general are useful, not useful, what they work for, what are some more difficult aspects of them. Um, and, you know, I, my thought is that some of those conversations about what has paved the way for the kinds of books that exist now um, might be long in those kinds of discussions. So I don't know, that was just one thing that I was thinking about um, in terms of what we might use book clubs for. Absolutely. And um, uh, thank you again to Paige for bringing that up. Because I mean, yeah, if we can't have those conversations with other romance readers, where can we have that conversation? And uh, the thing about book clubs, as the person who legitimately forgot to read the book for the book club that I started here in Tucson because I'm not facilitating it this month. Uh, book clubs are hit or miss for me. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just like, Oh, I might get around to reading the book. I want to come and support you and make sure that there are people there to talk about the book. But is it, is it, Two days from now? Have I touched the book? No. Oh, so you um, saw and- two days is what I'm hearing. <laughs> that is what you're hearing. Oh, yeah. So you're fine. And, uh, and uh, that might still happen. We'll find out. But anyway, so um, book clubs personally are things that I really get a lot out of when I am facilitating because A, that, that usually means I've had some... Uh, some say in what the book is. And <laughs> I've been really thinking about it more critically as I was reading, which I don't always do, even if I know I'm going to be talking about it with other people, um, just not leading the discussion. So that's, that's one thing that I can say about me and book clubs in general, not just our book club um, with When in Romance, but just historically if I wasn't leading it, I was bad at following. And I think that's kind of the like giant social, almost like cliche, but it's like this one's a cliche because it's true of book clubs, right? Is that it's more of just an excuse for people to get together and talk. And how often do people actually talk about the book club? Which is not to say that no book clubs do, because we know that there are a lot of really good, strong functioning book clubs out there. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I do wonder, yeah, I wonder sometimes if kind of the, you know, prescriptive read is a little bit harder for people. Because my guess is that, you know, between the time that this book that you are theoretically reading the next two days uh, was, (laughs) you know, quote unquote, assigned, and now you've probably read some books, you just have not read this book, right? And I think I have that trouble sometimes where there are books that I know I should read, or I keep meaning to read, and then instead I pick something else up. So I think that can be that can be a little bit of a challenge. Definitely a challenge. And, you know, sometimes, like, for instance, this book, I picked this book at the beginning of the year. And because this is this is a workbook club, uh, well, not a workbook club, it's, it's a book club that's run through the library that I work at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I selected all of the books for the year, and was planning on probably facilitating it and some until somebody else was really excited to do so. So it's like, go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, yeah, I still haven't read it. Yeah. To be fair, it's not a romance. And I've been reading a lot more of that recently. But yeah, yeah. And I do think it's um, I'm with you in that I I am not a great book club person and that I have a hard time reading the thing that I'm supposed to read. But I will say when I do do it and the conversations that we have had um, have been interesting to me and helpful to me because it is interesting to me to process, you know, any kind of conversation with other people. And I think that's particularly true of a book. Um, you know, there are themes that I don't always pick up on or, you know, in the same way that it's always useful to have books written by people with lots of different kinds of perspectives and backgrounds. I think discussing books with people of lots of different kinds of perspectives and backgrounds is also really useful in that you can see different dimensions and layers to a book um, or a story or just kind of different plot devices or narrative devices than you might have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think that's one of the setbacks of our Win in Romance book club and our participation in like the Great Big Romance read the past two times is that we've had some contributions from other people and they've been awesome. Thank you to those of you who've, who've discussed it with us before we've, before we've talked about the books and maybe even after. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's just you and me and we can have, um, immediate revelations between each other, but we are our only immediate sounding boards when we're talking about books. So when you talk about having the perspective of a bunch of different people um, with uh, with varying backgrounds and and coming from different points of view, you're great. You well, know thank that you. I think you're awesome. <laughs> um, but you know, a two person book club isn't always going to come up, come out with the most revelatory conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Yeah, I think it is true that two people still will double the amount of perspective that I have on any given book. At the same time, three people would triple it, right? Four people quadruples <laughs> it. You know, like, that's just, I'm not great at math. But that does seem to be how it goes. Um, so yeah, I think this kind of a book club discussion can be a little bit limiting. But I still I mean, I still think there's some value in it. I will say, oh, one yeah, of, um, one of the other challenges that I think can exist, although it's not as limiting as I might have guessed before we started doing um, book club discussions on the podcast, is that by nature in romance, there's kind of a structure. And 
that happy ever after is you know mm-hmm. built in. So I think I would have thought that that would be more limiting than I have found it to be as well. Because if you know how, I mean, there's not going to be a huge plot twist where at the end, everyone dies in a fiery crash. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or you find out that like one of the main characters was actually the murderer and spends the rest of their life in jail. Right. Like that's not how romance works. Um, but I think one of the things that's been really fun and interesting is that kind of when you take that off the table, like when you sort of know that you're not going to be discussing the specific twists of the plot that were unexpected. It's been really interesting to get into some of um, the nuance, you know, of different things. Like when we were talking about um, butterfly swords by uh, Jeannie Lynn talking about, you know, family and loyalty and honor. Those are some themes that we may not have had time to discuss if we were discussed, not that we didn't discuss plot, obviously, but knowing that, you can almost kind of depend on a specific structure. One of the interesting things about romance is seeing what romance authors do with the pieces of their art and their work that they have the space to be more creative with. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that structure is a great skeleton for seeing what kind of person the authors can build with it, right? Like, what are they going to Frankenstein together today? And usually that is a negative connotation, but with all of the bits and pieces that you can pull together to make like a, a brilliant creature, um, I'm going to use it positively because somebody <laughs> needs to. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, and, you know, like the, the authors can talk about all kinds of topics while still following that structure and making sure that their characters are are doing what they want them to do as far as the love story while also living full lives. And it's great to be able to talk about that kind of thing. We talked about it with Intercepted by Alexa Martin. Yeah. And I think that's, I think the other thing too, that um, we've been, I th- we've been pretty lucky in that, uh, the couple of times that we've discussed a book, I think maybe only, maybe it's only happened once. We've, maybe Butterfly Swords is the only book that we've discussed that neither of us had read when we selected it, because we kind of crowdsourced that decision. Um, cause I do think the selection of the book matters, right? There are certain romances that maybe just don't have as much nuance and don't have as much complexity. And that's okay. That's not a judgment in any way. There are some books that are just kind of meant to be entertaining, kind of in the same way that there are some movies that are just meant to be kind of like filling your brain and letting you sit in an air conditioned movie theater for a couple of hours on a, you know, like sometimes you have a really stressful week and you just want to have something take your mind off it for a while and you read a romance on a Sunday afternoon, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Those books aren't necessarily as interesting to have a lengthy discussion about though. And so I think that's why it's been really helpful to have, um, you know, for example, the great big romance read books have been really interesting for us to get to read or having um, Intercepted or Butterfly Swords or, you know, like I think all of those books are ones that do have some really good depth and dimension to them that we've been able to kind of poke at a little bit. Um, but I think it's something that, although we've been lucky, <laughs> we would have to kind of 
make sure that we are cognizant of as we're thinking in the future about, you know, potentially doing more books. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah, that brings us to the question of, um, I think we are both generally interested in the idea of doing more when in romance book club reading. Absolutely. And my, my talk about the setback of it just being Trisha and me was not my negatively speaking about our experience. It's just one of the thoughts that I've had. So oh, yeah. I, I really want to convey that I totally love our, our book club chats and look forward to potentially doing more. No, I actually have a note too that sort of was like, it's also sometimes less interesting when we just kind of agree on stuff, you know, (laughs) and the we and that is both the just you and I and also the collective we. Um, But yes, no, I think you're right that there, there is some limitation in that. So that is both a uh, observation and also an invitation um, to all of you the next time we get involved to let us know what you are thinking, even maybe it's maybe it's also a um, lesson for us just that we should like post some more questions beforehand for folks to think about and respond to. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that next time. Yeah. We'll think about some, some ways to engage. So, um, so I think you and I will chat a little bit offline about, uh, what might make for a good holiday read, or maybe nothing would make for a good holiday read. So we can think about it after the new year and people will have, you know, resolutions to do more reading. I don't know. We'll see how it all goes, but we will. Uh, if anybody has any thoughts about what they would like to read or when, do let us know. Yes. And in the meantime, one thing that all of you could read would be uh, from our next sponsor, which is The Library of Lost Things by Laura Taylor Namey. Darcy Wells would rather spend her life between the pages of books than deal with the crushing reality of her mother's hoarding. I think many of us use the pages of books to avoid a lot of things. So I feel you, Darcy. While Darcy is struggling to survive under the weight of her mother's compulsive shopping, Asher Fleet, former teen pilot with an unexpectedly shattered future, walks into her local bookstore and into her heart. For the first time in her life, Darcy doesn't have the right words, and securing her own happily ever after will mean she'll need to stop hiding and start living her own truth, even if it's messy. The School Library Journal says the Library of Lost Things is perfect for fans of John Green, but really it's perfect for all bibliophiles. From Jane Austen to Peter Pan to Nicola Yoon, this novel is an ode to book lovers everywhere. So I took a peek at this one. Um, It just came out from Harlequin uh, about, about a week ago, so it's... Um, on sale now. And it does seem very much like a, if you, if you are one of those of us, I was going to say one of those people. And then I realized I'm one of those people. So I should just say one of us who <laughs> loves books about books and literary folks and reading. Um, this one seems like it's very much for you. Uh, Darcy is having a hard time figuring out how to create her story, uh, when she has to kind of do it in the real world, as opposed to with ink and paper. Um, and so kind of seeing her figure that out, I think could be very rewarding. Also, Asher Fleet is an amazing <laughs> name. So hats off to Laura Taylor Navy for that, if nothing else. But, um, huge thanks to the Library of Lost Things and Laura Taylor Namer for sponsoring the show. It is available now wherever you find your books or at uh, the link in the show notes. You'll be able to find it there too. Awesome. Thank you. I have to check that one out. Indeed. All right. So uh, we were going to talk a little bit next about, we were talking, you know, um, about book clubs and social discussions. And as we just mentioned, uh, sometimes 
it can be a little bit more rewarding to have those discussions about books that have a little bit more depth isn't really a fair way to put it. But that's what I'm going to say anyway, because you know, we don't have hours and hours for me to find the right words. Um, wait, maybe. Yeah, wait is a good one, too. Um, and, you know, you and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit, Jess, there are certain books in the romance world um, that take on some pretty serious issues culturally and socially, it, which is kind of funny, not haha funny, but funny, almost ironic, because romance is so regularly dismissed for being so fluffy and happy and like full of pink and hearts and whatever. Um, but in fact, there's actually, I think, a real role uh, for romance in being a courier of some of those serious cultural topics. Absolutely. I mean, someone who doesn't know much about a specific topic or a social issue or the way that a, a culture or a group of people, especially marginalized people, sort of live their life, pick up a romance novel, and they're still guaranteed that happy ending. But they've still, they're still getting a little more about this sort of point of view, or perspective. Um, as, uh, granted that the author is doing it well, but I imagine that a lot of the authors who are actually putting this in their books are doing the work to make sure that they, like, present it the right way. Yeah, and I think just to give folks a little bit of a sense for what kinds of things at least I think of when I'm talking about romances that are taking on these kinds of cultural and social issues. Um, the Bride Test by Helen Wong that a lot of you may be familiar with um, is a wonderful rom-com. It also deals with a lot of really serious immigration issues and um, what it is like to try to navigate a culture that is completely unfamiliar to you. Uh, the Right Swipe by Alicia Rai uh, deals with traumatic brain injury in the NFL, but I think even maybe more relevantly to the story deals with um, workplace harassment and sexual power imbalance kind of, and uh, a um, supervisor who takes advantage of that and creates a toxic work environment around it. I'm thinking through the, like I, I have a list of recommendations that, you know, we're going to talk about those too. So I don't necessarily want to give all of those away, but you know, <laughs> um, I will mention some of them anyway. Uh, His Convenient Husband by Robin Covington is a book that we've talked about before. And in that book, um, Victor is a, um, an athlete from Russia who is openly gay and very vocal and is seeking political asylum because in his home country, um, people who are as open and vocal as he are and, and gay men generally are persecuted. And so he is trying to find asylum and he does not get it. But, you know, like, I think there are some, in all of those examples, there are lessons to be learned about those kinds of issues. And I think one of the points that you made is a really important one, Jess, that in romance, you almost have the guaranteed, but you have the guaranteed HEA, which, which I think offers a kind of safety in exploring the issue that you won't necessarily get if you are seeking to read about it in another way. Right. Like social issues are, are hard, like capital H hard. And if you're picking up a, a, what we like to call an issue book, um, whether it's adult or YA or nonfiction, um, you, you don't really know how you're going to come out of it. You hope that there's going to be some hope at the end, right? Um, but you know, like 
picking up the hate you give is a hard choice for some people because they know there's going to be a hard topic discussed. There's going to be the death of a kid um, at the hands of someone who shouldn't be doing it. I mean, nobody should ever be doing it, but at someone who is supposed to protect people. And there is activism and speaking out and, you know, friend clashes and all of this other stuff that's happening in that kind of book where you're kind of not even sure what's going to happen by the time you reach the end. Whereas when you've got a romance novel, sure, the issue might not be solved. Um, but there's, there's some, the way that these books are created, there's gotta be some kind of choice or headway that's made before the characters can really find their personal happy ending. So something happens in order to move that narrative forward in the structure of a romance. So we know that, you know, nobody's going to solve racism in a romance novel, but something's going to happen to help that person feel happy enough to have a happy ever after at the end. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, nobody's going to solve racism in the best investigative journalism nonfiction book of the decade either. Right. Like that's the, you know, I got, um, I, as we're recording this on the 17th, there's a post I wrote for book riot that I think is coming up tomorrow. Uh, if it doesn't watch for it next week, um, about <laughs> independent bookstores and how the many of them that I have visited highlight pretty much every single genre. Um, but about half of the ones that I've been to have not highlighted romance. And I find it so frustrating because these stores, many of them consider themselves, I think, very progressive and inclusive places. And I think a lot of them fall victim to the same preconceived notions about romance that a lot of other, um, you know, entities and, and folks in both publishing and the kind of the, the more snobby literary community, frankly, do. And they ignore the role that romance can play, first of all, in being inclusive and providing happy ever after endings for a lot of folks that do not get them represented in other fiction. But that's another story. You know, like, I mean, we've, we've talked about that before. But I think with a lot of these kinds of issues, whether we're talking about intimate partner violence or immigration or sexual assault or, you know, a lot of these other t- or racism, mm-hmm. you can have all of the important, prize-winning, exceptional, really fantastic books about those topics at your store. But if people are sort of too intimidated to read them, they're not necessarily going to serve every audience. There may well be customers um, or readers who can't, don't have it in them to pick up, you know, um, a new Pulitzer Prize winning book on a really important you know, topic about um, criminal justice reform, but are able to read a romance and get some of that same information. They're not going to get all of it, right? Like, that's just the reality. But it's an entry point. Yeah, or as an entry point, they've realized that they want to know more and might pick up that Pulitzer Prize winning book after they've gotten sort of a 101 on it from this other experience. Like, there are definitely things I probably haven't read the full 400 page nonfiction book about it, but I might have read the Wikipedia article about it. Mm-hmm. If it's something that's been discussed that I don't know much about. Yeah. Um, like I had kind of an understanding 
of what was happening in Russia and its surrounding countries as far as how they treat people who are not straight. And I might have read more about the history of that after I read His Convenient Husband, Mm -hmm. because it was like, what is happening with that right now? Has that changed? Is it getting worse? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, it just made me think more about that topic. And, you know, I'd love to see more in romance talking about all of the things so that I can just like get myself thinking and then maybe sit down and read something a little differently structured about it. Because like the romance is going to have the same in like the same information, but not as, as you know, concise and detailed. Those are two different things, but you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and you, or yeah, or, you know, like whether it's a Wikipedia article or an Atlantic article or, you know, yeah, there are a lot of places to seek out more information once you get interested in a topic. And, and a lot of these authors, you know, I think neither you nor I are so naive as to think that every romance author does an amazing job of doing their homework, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them really, really do. I would literally tell you, I'm like trying to think through whether there's anything else that I read. I'm I'm trying to think if there is an author that as I studied American history in college, that I learned more (laughs) about American history from than Beverly Jenkins and Alyssa Cole. I'm not sure there is. (laughs) Like, again, I studied it in college. I have a minor. I didn't, you know, get a, a degree in it, but you know, like, and so those, like, those are people that have done their homework. Um, And I will say too, you know, just kind of moving away a little bit from just the sheer validity of it. I think to me, some of the, these kinds of stories are even a little bit more engaging to me and both on the topic. I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I think I can emotionally engage with the topic a little bit when it's personal. Yeah, exactly. When the stakes and when the stakes are very high for the couple, right? So, um, one of the books that, uh, you know, we're sort of pseudo moving, and I think to recommendations a little bit, one of the books that I uh, have talked about a number of times, we mentioned Alexa Martin before, <laughs> uh, Fumbled by <laughs> Alexa Martin, I guess this is like a little bit spoilery, but not so, so much. Um, Poppy, who is one of the main characters in that book, she feels very, very strongly about injuries and the long term impacts that head injuries in particular have um, as a result uh, there that she's seen in, in football playing. And as a parent mm-hmm. of a kid who might want to play, she has another kind of dimension that she has to consider. And when she's trying to decide whether or not she can build a relationship with TK, the other main character who is a professional football player and also the father mm-hmm. of her child, when she knows that she can't support his career, like that's a very real thing, right? Like it's not just a, oh, they disagree and oh, well, it's a, this is a thing that is a big enough issue that it will make or break this relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, like those are the kinds of, like you said, when it, when you, when it feels personal and you can kind of attach someone that you're emotionally invested in, even when it's just a fictional character, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that matters for people. I think stories do have the potential to change people's minds. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to go back to one thing that we were talking about, um, about authors, authors, um, coming at things from a certain, from like 
writing about these social issues. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we mo- we know that most of these authors are doing the work. And sometimes they realize that they had a blind spot. And if there is an ability to change that perspective, then they might approach it. And for instance, speaking of Christina Lauren, um, Roomies, which came out right before a lot of immigration talk and is about a a, a Irish man, right? Mm-hmm. He's Irish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who overstayed his visa and does not, and is currently undocumented, marrying uh, someone who is an American citizen. And after all of that happened, Christina Lauren was, were like, well, that was kind of a blind spot on mm-hmm. our point. Um, so their, their film, their book was optioned for film and they are working directly with the, the people in charge of creating it to change that, that narrative to someone who is more like the people who are being negatively approached by this whole issue. Um, and I, I think I remember, um, one of them saying if they, they wish they could rewrite the book. Because they've got all of these ideas now, but, you know, it's published. So I doubt that can actually happen. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I were in having that same conversation with them. And I think they kind of said, like, if there's a way that we could do, like, kind of an, another edition of it, mm-hmm. like they, they may actually be considering it, which would be super interesting. Um, but yeah, and I think they might even be doing that screenplay. So um, it'll be super interesting. Yeah. I couldn't remember if they were writing it or just working with the screenwriter. I think they're doing it. Or did it? I, I don't even remember. I don't know. It's been a while. Too, yeah. Like, so. I kind of feel like that movie must be coming out soon, right? <laughs> I don't know. Everyone, watch soon. Roomies. <laughs> coming maybe soon to a theater or Netflix near you. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I, I'm trying to think if there's any other, like, very... Very thoughtful observations that I had about this that I was going to uh, discuss with you, Jess, um, to double my perspective on it. <laughs> One times two being two. Um, <laughs> I think, again, not great at the math. Um, but yeah, no, I think so. You know, I mentioned His Convenient Husband and I mentioned um, Fumbled, which are two, I think, great examples of this. I will say... Uh, Another example that I always think of when I think of books that have made me more aware kind of socially of a different perspective, um, are the, well, it's two, the two books are Thirsty and Trashed by Mia Hopkins, uh, in which in each book, um, one brother, so the two main characters, two of the main characters in each book are, Boy, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. So Sal's You're in one great. book and thirsty and, uh, he's in thirsty and in his, in trashed his brother Eddie is in that book too. So they're brothers. They're in two different books. Anyway, they have both <laughs> recently been released from prison and it is, I remember just reading thirsty and the same was true of trashed, although I expected a little bit more because I had obviously read thirsty already. And Mia does just such a good job of just very subtly throughout the story without like hanging a giant lantern or flag on it, reminding you that we do not set people up for success when they are coming out of prison in this country. And when you have theoretically done your time and you're being asked to return to society and be a productive member of society, but you 
can't get a driver's license a lot of times. And it's really difficult to get a job if you have a felony on your record and you don't have any money. And a lot of times people won't rent to you because you have a felony record. You know, like there's just a lot of things that she very kind of subtly weaves into the lives of these main characters. And it's just a, it makes the stakes feel very different. And it kind of does sort of, for me, I would have thought of myself as being fairly empathetic anyway to someone in that situation, but it does kind of put a specific example. Again, granted it's a fictional one, but it is more real than an example that I had previously, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that sort of happened with me, um, with Aisha at last, which I didn't expect to, to think that I would be talking about really with as far as the concept of like social and cultural issues. Um, but when I was really thinking about books that, that really make me, that have made me think about the world around people and how the people in the book are relating to that, even if it's not something where there is an actual act of oppression happening, um, the, well, and of course in Aisha at last, there are lots of very subtle, microaggressive acts of oppression happening, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, the the presence of faith and what that means to people in the book, as well as, you know, people of a certain faith and how the people who are not of that faith react to them and how they represent themselves and how they decide to act upon that faith or the tenets of that faith um, are were like something very new to me just because I am not around very many Muslim people, right? On a, on a regular occasion. I, there are a few that I work with who are, I hate to say Muslim light, but they're definitely not very high level acting Muslim. Um, so just reading a story in which like, you know, that it's, it's going to follow a certain trajectory because you've been told that it's sort of based on pride and prejudice, right? So you know that there are certain things that are going to happen in the book. Um, but then there are all of these other things that are happening around the characters, whether they're about faith or whether about being a woman or whether they're about work, being in a workplace, um, that really sort of build upon each other to make you think about society and people who are good and people who are somewhere in between and people who need some help and people who just need to not exist. Um, so it, yeah, that was, that was definitely one that is, was kind of unexpectedly uh, an eye opener for me about certain things. Yeah. That's yeah. The um, way that people uh, have to navigate, unfortunately, the way that their faith is perceived in, um, different countries and in the United States, unfortunately, right now in particular is, yeah, that's a great example and, and a troubling one. But again, there's an HEA built in everyone. So it'll be fine. You just have to read it. And that's what I <laughs> keep reminding myself. I have not finished it. I, it's almost like one of those books that I, I know it's reaching a boiling point. And so, I have to like <laughs> just sit and finish um uh American Love Story by Adriana Herrera, which is wonderful. It's so so good. Um it features uh Patrice, who is a professor and activist, 
Um, he's a black man working against the targeting of people of color by the local police. And I think they're at, are they at Cornell? I can't yes. remember if they, yeah, I can never remember if, you know, in books, I can never remember if they actually mention the specific school or if they like <laughs> create a pretend stand in. But I think they actually put Patrice at Cornell and you would, you would know you've read all of the books. Um, and, and honestly, like he's working against the targeting of people of color that keep getting pulled over, but he's also just trying to make sure that they can have normal lives. You know, like he's writing and being on Twitter and an activist, but he's not, you know, I mean, he's just doing normal, good human things. Um, and he's totally falling for Easton, who is wonderful and a completely delightful, charming human who is also a local prosecutor who has to work really closely with the sheriff's office, who keeps pulling over these young people, and I think primarily young men of color. And so Patrice has some really complicated feelings about that, and understandably so. And Easton is trying to do the right thing by these young people, but also trying not to burn a bridge with the law enforcement folks that he has to work with on a regular basis. He's also not the, he's not the um, DA. He might run for DA, but he's not in that position yet. So he's also kind of taking orders from somebody else. He, um, so he's got some complicated stuff going on. Um, but they are like, they have this really great charming chemistry. And this is another example of one of those books where this really important, complicated social issue is really a barrier for the two people that have to figure out how, you know, I, there's a lot of mention in this book of I, Patrice in particular trying to figure out if he should be putting his happiness and what he wants ahead of what is important and what is right for the people in a community. And, you know, like that, that's, that's a, it's a very specific perspective and lens, you know, that it doesn't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. Um, at least I really hope that it doesn't because <laughs> I'm not quite done with the book yet, but you know, it's, uh, it's Karina. So I got that, that HEA built in guaranteed. Um, but that's another really great example of uh, a book that is dealing with some complicated, um, topics in a way that it's, it's funny that I mentioned that I'm like, I know it's reaching a boiling point. Cause honestly, it's, it's not a difficult read at all. It's delightful. Um, mm -hmm. the topics are just really complicated. Yeah, and it, I feel like uh, all of the Dreamers books are like that. You know, American Dreamer is probably the lightest. I think it probably builds um, as we go through. So goodness gracious, I don't know what Wampa's book is going to look like. Yeah, um, It's probably going to just explode in your hand. Um, but American possible. <laughs> American Fairy Tale, definitely, you know, with the building of the shelter and um, their conversations about what it is to be of the culture. And especially if you are a white passing person who is also Latinx and uh, like the conversations that are had, which honestly in any book by marginalized people with marginalized people in it, uh, those conversations hopefully come up at some point. Like I was reading, um, goalie interference by Avangale and Piper Vaughn, which, you know, at the core is about two goalies who are trying to be the main goalie for their hockey team, right? But it's also about two goalies of color in hockey. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one yeah. character is Japanese American and one is black. And so there's that. And they, they talk about that in certain situations about, you know, being, having that barrier on top of the other barriers. And then there's the whole conversation about them not being straight. So they have that layer on top of the other layers. And even though a lot, like half of the book is gameplay, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to lie. But those conversations still happen. And they're still like deep enough conversations that you can get something out of them and take that with you after you've read the book. Like, you know, it's been weeks since I've read that book and I can still remember passages where they are talking to white people in particular about being people of color and then talking to other people of color about playing hockey as people of color and the differences in those conversations. Yeah. So like you can find little things, I think in books that don't have that core social issue. Um, Even if it's like, you know, there have been really interesting talks about war in books that feature a former military person with PTSD. That might not be the, the central thing about their character that they're dealing with, but it definitely comes up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of conversation that can be had in, in books like these. And there are some really good ones, and you talked about a lot of the ones that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, I, if it if it helps at all, I think those are. I think I've now mentioned all of my racks. And then I had one more that is yet another one of those books that's kind of like not about the issue at all, but makes you think about the issues. Um, and it's kind of a weird recommendation, but go with it. Go with it. Okay, I'm ready. Um, and that's Can't Escape Love by Alyssa Cole, because, oh. you know, I have to include, I have to include an Alyssa Cole book. Obviously. <laughs> My passing mention of her and Beverly Jenkins wasn't nearly enough. Not nearly. But anyway, um, I've thought about that book in part because, uh, Reggie, the protagonist actually has so much access that it makes you think about other people, other people who are disabled like she is who don't have that access, or at least that's, that's sort of what I think about when I'm reading something about a person who is well, well off and has the money to have wheelchairs that, that do different things in the house and outside of the house to have a ramp built on their house to, to be able to move around well and to be able to do, to be independent. Mm hmm as a person with a disability that is not the thing that they want to control their life. And uh, like, I I really think that that's something that we don't talk enough about in general and in romance anyway, is disabilities and how access like it impairs people, but doesn't and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, So I really wanted to make sure that I mentioned that book and I'm trying to expand my reading um, up that features disabled people of all kinds of disability, physical disability, um, hard of hearing, blind. Yeah. I will mention, I, so I confess I haven't listened to it yet, but I know that the ROM book pod just put out uh, an episode focused on um, disability and romance. So awesome. That it might be worth, uh, checking out for you just as well as for all of us, uh, to, you know. Yeah. And there, there's a, there's a blog, I think called disability and romance, like straight up that I'm really bad at revisiting. So maybe 
I have inspired myself to revisit it and give myself some um some recommendations from from that too. I will take a look and link it in the show notes. Awesome. So that we all can. Yay. And I will say this too. It's, you know, like I mentioned before, there's a time and a place for that sort of very, very lightest of light, like wafer light thin romance <laughs> uh, that you just want to read on a, after, after a long week. But, you know, when the hard earned happily ever after is just, boy, those sometimes are just so satisfying. So there's, yeah, there's something to be said for, for that hard earned HEA. Yeah, when both the characters and the reader really have to work to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, both the characters and the reader doing the work. I think that's that's a very good point. And on that note, did you have any other books? I didn't I don't want to cut you off if you had other books you were gonna recommend. No. We are, we have reached a, a a perfect conclusion. A perfect and natural conclusion. Good for us. Yay. So we would love to hear from all of you now that you have very patiently heard from all of us. Uh, again, please let us know what your um, recommendation requests are by November 11th. So you do still have some time. Uh, email us at whenandromance at bookriot.com. You can let us know that. You can let us know uh, what you think of book clubs, what you think about uh, the When in Romance book club. And if you are excited about it, if you would like to do a holiday read or a non-holiday read and <laughs> when you want to read or I don't, you know, who knows, whatever you're thinking, um, what your favorite books are that are taking on some serious cultural and social issues, um, and how you feel about romance that does that generally. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. And, um, you can contact either of us through the one in romance email address, or you can find us on the socials. You can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And I am at Trisha Haley Brown on both. Um, you can also feel free to rate and review the podcast. Uh, it does help other folks find it. I think, are those all of our closing things? I, I think so. Let us know if we forgot something, you loyal listeners, because I know you'll notice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're trying a new uh, agenda format, so I'm I'm not entirely sure. But if, if, we, if, we, if we missed it, we'll get it next time. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, I hope that you all have a great week and happy reading. Happy reading and happy Halloween. Bye.